Welcome to Funeral Potatoes for the Singles Ward. Tune in to today's taboo topic with Kaylee and Tracy. Two more episodes. Two more. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's crazy. Oh, I need a break. I'm so tired. Two more. We can do this. We're both struggling today. I could have gone to bed at a decent time last night, and I didn't. <laughs> After our party, I was like, well, I should do stuff. So I wrote a chapter, and then I watched a movie, and I was like, perfect. Oh, yeah, it's like midnight now. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> then I was hoping at least I'd sleep in, and then, no, somebody wanted to go outside at 6 a.m. The dog. That was She was looking at the dog. Yeah. Yes. Here we are, half out of our minds. Normal. Not quite hydrated. <laughs> the usual. Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> but we do have a good topic today. So that's good. We do. That is very true. Today, we will be covering the bare bone basics once again, because that's what we do here. We have wanted to talk about Emma Smith for a while because of the incredible person that she was. And we know that history has a very muddled view of her from multiple angles. And oddly enough, like she's held in such controversy in the church, which I feel like she should not be whatsoever. But but we're going to take some time today to explore her story a little bit. We know that we're not going to do her justice. She really needs her own podcast which i'm sure someone out there in the church has already created or she needs like a comprehensive series but in the meantime we thought we could at least introduce her a little more than we have so far with an episode to learn more about who she was and to learn more about her story and then as we dive in um as we do with any episode especially when we're talking about people um we encourage you to consider um the references that we are using uh, regarding who is sharing each aspect of her story. So whether it's Joseph Smith, her husband and a leader of a church, um, someone else from her time, the church's current interpretation of who she is, or her own words. Um, everyone's going to have a different perspective of who Emma Hale Smith was. So we need to be considerate of the angle that someone is wanting to present to showcase their belief here. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and the research that I've been able to do just in this last week i i want to spend like months on this honestly everyone had a very different perspective and it was very enlightening yeah there's a really great podcast episode that i listened to in preparation for this it's the mormon land podcast from the salt lake tribune and they had jennifer reader who is a church historian on there who also wrote a book about emma smith and she was just giving like so many incredible insights into the life and the history of Emma Smith. So we pulled a lot of information from that. We've pulled information from Wikipedia, from other books, from Dialogue Journal, from so many sources, and we still are barely scratching the surface on this woman. So there's a lot. There's a lot we need to learn. Honestly, it actually got like super fascinating. I I wish you'd had more time, Um, but we will be sharing what we can. Before we get any further, we wanted to remind you again that Funeral Potatoes for the Singles Ward is now a part of the Dialogue Podcast Network. 
Dialogue is a collective of independent and interesting podcasts who promote thoughtful, respectful, and engaging inquiry and discussion into all aspects of the LDS tradition, thought, arts, and culture. You can support our podcast and other incredible podcasts like Beyond the Block, Face and Hat, Strangers No More, Holy Human, and many others by subscribing today at dialoguejournal.com slash podcast network. Subscribers receive special benefits like ad-free episodes and bonus content. Learn more about these podcasts and more at dialoguejournal.com slash podcast network. To get us started, um, I thought we'd begin by sharing a poem by Melody Nui Johnson. Uh, this was pulled from the Dialogue Journal where it, where it explains that for our Dialogue Gospel Study, pulled from March 14th of this year, 2021. On Doctrine and Covenants 25, Melody Nui Johnson asked participants to write down a word, words, or phrases that came to mind when they thought of Emma Smith. Melody compiled these into a concrete poem. On Emma's birthday, Dialogue published this celebration of this woman's life, accomplishments, and faith. Wife, elect, bereft, scribe, tolerant, complex, strength, President, conflicted, intelligent, sovereign, elect lady, prophetess, wife, mother, presidentess, long suffering, she is my friend, supportive seeker, courageous, spirited, Joseph's wife, valiant, enduring, faithful sister, somewhat supportive wife, first lady of the restoration, a remarkably strong woman, educated, sensitive, beloved, Trailblazer, stalwart, and her own self. Emma equals an enigma wrapped in a conundrum. Strong and an enigmatic, independent, heartbroken, patient. Woman of compassion and deep sorrow that guided her. The woman who created the movement of the restoration. The right person needed to accompany Joseph to the hill. An intelligent woman who endured exquisite sorrow with dignity and grace. Whatever elect lady means. Always the first phrase I think of when I hear Emma Smith. With all she went through and lost children, she was there for Joseph, supported him, and never walked away. Faithful and inspired, I don't think she gets nearly enough credit because Brigham Young seemed to dislike her. Encouraged, inspired Joseph to do right, to listen, truly listen to God in the spirit. Joseph's wife vilified because of her reaction to polygamy. Who is Emma Smith? Wife. Who is Emma? Strength. Often, sometimes the wife is the last one to know. A woman with a home she loved and cared for. Companion, victim, supporter, dissenter. Strength and power of convictions. Unsung hero of the restoration. A faithful questioning woman. Magnanimous and forgiving. Betrayed by her husband. Beleaguered, sad, loving. Too familiar with grief. The one left out. Woman of faith. Joseph's wife. Prophetess. Sacrificing. Matriarch. Relatable. Gracious. Devoted. All of us. I love that. That was really good. I really, I just really like how it pulled in so many different thoughts and compiles more of a picture for us to start with um, as we dive into this episode. All right. So let's jump in and start talking about Emma's early life and then starting a family. Um, so like we said earlier, we pulled some information from Wikipedia, the Salt Lake Tribune, and the Mormonland podcast. The episode specifically is called Puncturing the Mystery of Emma Smith, Who Loved Joseph But Loathed Polygamy, with the guest host historian for The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Jennifer Reeder. 
Unfortunately, there's not a lot of information available about Emma as a child, a young adult, or anything really before she met Joseph, but we do know this much. Emma Hale was born on July 10, 1804 in Harmony Township, Susquehanna County, Pennsylvania. She was the seventh child of Isaac Hale and Elizabeth Lewis Hale. It was recorded that while her siblings went through regular grammar school, she did an extra year making her the most educated of her siblings, and then obviously more educated than Joseph. She met Joseph in 1825. At the time, Joseph was boarding at the Hale family farm in Harmony, Pennsylvania, while he was among a few other men working in mines for Josiah Stoll, who believed they were finding buried treasure. While there, Joseph and Emma became fast friends. She was intrigued by his religious experiences and convictions, noting that she had had her own experiences of similar natures, and she fell for Joseph very quickly. Now, as we know from history, there was obviously no treasure to be found whatsoever, but Joseph found Emma, and that was enough for him. She was his treasure. She was his treasure, truly. He asked Isaac Hale for Emma's hand in marriage, and Isaac declined. He was worried about the new religion that Joseph was forming, and he was worried about the idea of Joseph being a treasure hunter, and it just didn't sit well with him whatsoever. Yeah, that's something that Joseph kind of had to put up with, like one of his, the many titles um, given to him throughout the rest of his life. And from my research, Joseph is the one who finally convinced Josiah to stop and was like, you're not going to find anything here. Like, just, uh-uh. I heard in the podcast with Jennifer Reeder, she said a lot of people thought that Isaac denied Joseph because he was uneducated, but that wasn't the case whatsoever because technically the entire Hale family was not very educated. Like Emma was the most educated out of all of them. So education didn't have anything to do with it. Yeah. Cause I mean, I was going to say like, yeah, that's, it was impressive during that time frame for anyone pretty much to be educated. Like mm-hmm. unless you were really rich and had the time, then you weren't going to spend that much time focused in school. Yeah. So yeah, I, I can definitely understand that that's not I don't feel like that's a viable enough excuse. But yeah, like the treasure hunter thing being a concern, like a, a father during that time is going to want his daughter to marry someone who like who can, is stable. Who can take care of her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which Joseph kind of wasn't. No. And he ne- like he never was. No. Like because of everything he was doing with the church, he was constantly going places. He was not getting into trouble, but like trouble is coming after him. So like he just never could have a stable life um, after like the age of 14, basically. Yeah. And it really makes sense. Like I don't even fault Isaac for being like, no, you can't marry my daughter because I would say the same thing. I'd be like, your life is a mess. Get it together and maybe we can reconvene once you've pulled yourself together. But like, no, not right now. That does tie in though, because I think that, it, yeah, that makes sense why um, Emma's parents were so concerned about them being together. Like they wanted Emma to be really well taken care of. Um, but then what I did see is that once they did get married and everything. Her parents weren't like, they were upset, but like they didn't hold malice or any irritation um, towards them moving forward. Like there were letters about like, okay, like, yeah, you're, you're on your way to this place. Now her parents were willing to send her belongings to her and were willing to hold on to anything that she wanted them to hold on to until she was ready to collect her things. Yeah. So that kind of brings us to where they're going next. So Shortly after Joseph asked Isaac Hale for Emma's hand in marriage, he was leaving Harmony, Pennsylvania. As he left, Emma went with him, but she had no plans to marry him at that point. 
she was just going to leave with him. From records, it says that she had no plans to marry him, like when they were going to leave at that point. Not what you do when you're going to say no. (laughs) No. In the podcast, Jennifer Reeder said that Joseph managed to convince her (laughs) to marry him, basically. And (laughs) then the two of you. Yeah. And then they were married by a justice of the peace in South Bainbridge, New York. Um, after they got married, they moved in with Joseph's family in Manchester, New York, which I just think it's so funny that he like he convinced her to marry him. I just love that. I mean, that's a prime way to do it. Like I know. Like, take you're already from, here. Like, yeah, like you're already here. I'm here. The pastor is here. Like, we don't need to listen to your parents who clearly let's aren't here. So let's go for it. It's like, crazy. That's, <laughs> is it the best move? I don't think so. Did it work? Clearly. It did. All right, so we all know the stories of their hardships with, like, trying to have a family of their own. In total, Emma gave birth to nine children, she adopted four, and she continually buried her children. So we're going to go through the children right now. Her first child, Alvin, lived only a few hours. Then they had twins, Thaddeus and Louisa, who also lived only a few hours. After the death of the twins, they adopted twins Joseph and Julia Murdoch, who had been orphaned after their mother died in childbirth. Joseph died at 10 months after exposure to the cold when Joseph Smith was tarred and feathered. Then shortly after that, she had Joseph III, who would then go on to become a prophet of the RLDS church. He actually lived to be 82, so he outlived Emma. Then she had Alexander. He lived to be 71, and he also outlived Emma. Then she had Frederick Granger Smith, who lived to be only 26. Records don't say a lot about him, but the podcast that I listened to said that he lived a quote-unquote different lifestyle. He left the family in 1857 to get married to this woman named Abigail, um, and then he eventually came back while he was like really, really sick and dying. And so Emma also had to watch him die, which is tragic. That's not something I feel you can ever get used to. And to go through that time after time. And there's more. Oh, Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah, we're not even done yet. There's more. Um, Then in 1840, she had a miscarriage. Then she had another child, Don Carlos, who only lived 14 months. Then she had one more child who was born just after Joseph's martyrdom. His name was David. He lived to be 59, but he was said to have many mental health issues, and he was actually put in an institution in the later years of his life. Wow. I've never heard. Yeah. We never talk about the children who lived. Nope. And then somewhere between Don Carlos and David, she adopted Elizabeth Agnes Kendall after Elizabeth's parents died in Nauvoo. Emma stayed in Nauvoo, which again, we'll talk more about later, and she raised Elizabeth as her own child. And then years and years later, after she remarried, her husband, Louis Bidamon, had an affair. And this affair led to Charles Abercrombie, Records from Emma's life show that Emma not only took in Charles, but she also took in his mother, which was the other woman. And she raised Charles beside his birth mother, who was Nancy Abercrombie. And this woman went on to become Emma's nursemaid and took care of Emma to the end of her life, which is like insane. So in total, only five of Emma's children reached adulthood and only three of them outlived her, which is so devastating. Out of 13. Yeah. 
Oh my goodness. I don't want to say like anything, like anything can excuse like bad behavior and not being a good person or anything. But honestly, Emma went through so that is so much to go through. Yeah. That is so much heartache and physical labor and emotional anguish to endure in one lifetime. I cannot imagine. And that's just like a fraction of what she went through in her lifetime. Like that's just the yeah. family portion. That doesn't right, exactly all of the religious <sighs> turmoil and the problems with no. her husband and moving oh frequently. Like that takes out everything. That's just the family stuff. Like oh it's, my gosh. it's that's too much for even me to comprehend at this point. Like honestly I no. Cannot. If someone was like, you've got to go through all of this and I'd be like, no. No, no, I no, can't. No, I, I can't. I Man. would okay. be pulling my uterus <sighs> out of my body myself. I'd be like, you go through it. I'm not doing it. Like, nope, mm-hmm. sorry. Oh my <laughs> Factory's <goodness>. closed. <laughs> Honestly, wow. <laughs> okay, so let's go on to the uh, less heavy stuff. Maybe um, Emma's adult life. Her entire life is just like one crazy story filled with so much that she endured. And we have so many records of how much she really did. And I mean, she's always referenced along with her husband. Like, that's when the records start including more about her and her life and what she did and everything. And we know how that's how women usually get represented in history, is that they're marked as this famous man's wife. So it's important for us to be able to note that she did so much on her own. Like, she wrote in so many journals that helped us keep track of some things that were like going on in her lifetime. And we have her perspective of her story. She did so much on her own as a strong spiritually and independent soul. And we've got like recordings about how she tended to the sick as a nurse, for example, like she would help nurse people back to health. She learned many healing techniques with herbs and plants that were available from her mother and from Lucy Mack Smith, with whom she was very close to. And it's awesome to note that women had the gift of tongues and healing through the administration of blessings and could actually give blessings back then for the healing of the sick and afflicted. So that was something that was given to women during that time to be able to use to use that power and the strength for one another. And that's something that Emma would use for her children and for strangers along the way so often. And then, of course, we do need to know her entire marriage to Joseph because... That's a big thing, you guys. So big. And it's very interesting to see the different perceptions on how people present um, their marriage and everything. So while even like even most people I talk to who don't really like Emma Smith, they at least note that she had a good relationship with Joseph. To an extent, I will say, because no relationship is perfect. But what you can find is proof between them um, of their love which is found within their letters that they would send to one another while they were married because he was often away um, and every letter was very evident of the love that they had for one another the concern that they had for one another and for their family and so of course it was hard for her to be separated from him frequently but she had the capacity to keep up the business and organization of the church Jennifer Reeder, a church historian from the podcast, said Emma was more adept at business than Joseph, and she handled things very keenly and sharply. She had good judgment. She could discern who had good intentions and who did not. While Joseph was a charismatic and trusting one, Emma was a discerning one and ran a tighter ship. I like knowing that about her. I just really love knowing that she was the sharp, stern, discerning one out of the relationship. I love that. Definitely. Okay, so then moving forward, I want to share a 
a quote from Sister Sense and Hard Facts, Mormon Enigma, Emma Hale Smith by Linda King Newell and Belene Tippett's Avery, um, both of whom have actually written quite a few things on Emma Smith. Um, I think further back into the 80s and everything, it just mentions the nuance of how Emma Smith gets represented so often in the church. And so they started their article about talking about how relationships were seen back then, how romance was seen, and the nuances of being in a relationship like this. And so they say here, despite the softer touch with which the authors treated them, reference in a prior book that did not look so kindly on Joseph and Emma, it says that we must swallow some hard facts. Joseph Smith and Emma Hale eloped. Their marriage was troubled by early jealousies, perhaps infidelity. Over the issue of plural marriage, Joseph deceived his wife and resorted to double talk with his enemies and with the saints as well. Emma's trusted women, friends, ancestors of many of us, betrayed their friend and benefactress. Brigham Young spread malicious lies about Emma after the martyrdom. Young Joseph was ordained by his father to be his successor in church leadership. Not an easy dose for us who have been schooled in unquestioning reverence for our leaders and acceptance of the apostolic succession. I really enjoyed this article because it was just kind of hinting. It wasn't hinting. It was just explaining on the fact that this is very nuanced. Like, it's not that Emma Smith was good or bad. It's that she was a person who went through a lot and did the best that she could do during her time. And Joseph Smith was doing his thing too. And they were in a very tumultuous time because of everything that was going on with them in their personal and public lives. And it's important to understand those nuances when we dive into any of their lives, anything during that restoration time. Nothing was perfect. Like, we can't put anyone on a pedestal. Yeah. And we're going to get more into each of those little points that are in that quote, too, a little bit later in the episode. Still in focusing with their marriage, this is why polygamy was such a heartbreak for her and for Joseph. We go more in depth into the polygamy side of things in episode 83, um, but we wanted to touch on a few important things here as well. Like we said in our polygamy episode, Emma wasn't aware of all of the plural marriages that Joseph was engaged in. She later found out that many of her friends and her members of the Relief Society were sealed to him. Oh my gosh. Joseph insisted that the practice be sacred, confidential, and private. So Emma, and by extension we, don't really know the language he used or whether the ceilings were just like extended home teaching or if they had sexual relationships as well. And so while she had to handle the private conversations and struggles of learning about her husband's multiple wives, she also had to defend Joseph and the revelation to practice polygamy publicly and while she was in Relief Society, not knowing that most of those women in her Relief Society were secretly sealed to Joseph, which is just an absolute mess and it makes sense why she struggled so much during this time honestly the more i look into the whole polygamy thing it's such a disaster from every perspective yeah okay so i do want to bring up another quote so this is from linda king newell but in a different article titled the emma smith lore reconsidered And so this is actually a very interesting article and it dives into like some of the nuances about what everyone's kind of presumed about Emma Smith at one time or another and like reflects on it more seriously. This is about her opposition to plural marriage. The quote reads, Emma's opposition to plural marriage is well known as is a temporary embracing of it when she gave Joseph permission to marry at least four women of her own choosing. 
However, few know the circumstances in which Emma learned of plural marriage. Unlike Joseph's careful, usually private, and intensive instructions to selected members of the Twelve and the women he took as wives, available evidence suggests that Emma first learned of Joseph's departure from monogamy in Kirtland when he took his first known plural wife, a young hired girl named Fanny Algar. William McClellan, then a member of the Twelve, reported that Emma missed Fanny Alger and Joseph one day and went to the barn where, peering through a crack in the door, she witnessed the quote-unquote ceiling. Apparently, she treated it as a one-time incident, but later Nauvoo rumor and innuendo about such unconventional marriages began surfacing. So in the spring of 1842, Emma was, un- was unaware that Joseph was taking plural wives. She did not have that much awareness going into it in the beginning. Like, it's... It's crazy. And it was, it's it's just very nuanced because it was very confusing to her as well. Like it was never like clearly cut out. Like we discussed this in our polygamy ep- episode, where it's just very weird. And you can find from Emma's personal files, her actual records, that she was accepting of some of these relationships. Like it was like an adoption or an extension of her family. But when sexual relationships came into play, she was not okay, which is understandable. So I did find another particular story. So she was apparently accepting of Eliza R. Snow and Emily Partridge's ceiling to Joseph. But then when Hiram brought Doctrine Covenants 132 to light to Emma and told her that Eliza was married to Joseph, Emma apparently blew a gasket. Eliza Snow wrote a poem about a dark woman in anger coming to her and compelling her to leave Nauvoo. So basically, the poem is about Emma finding out about Eliza and Joseph being married and Emma running her out of town. Good for her, though. (laughs) Like, Like, I mean, yeah. Okay, but then here's also more. Okay, so there's record of Emma helping Eliza R. Snow move into their house together at one point, like, because it was necessary. Um, And then after that, she learned of the deception between her husband and her friend. They were good friends. And there's record mentioning Emma Smith taking a rash decision one day and pushing Eliza R. Snow down the stairs. Okay, so the Mormon Land podcast kind of debunks that. Oh, does it? Yes. Really? Yes. She, because that that thing, that study got brought up and that like record got brought up as one of the questions for uh, Jennifer Reeder. And she was like, just looking at the historical records that we have of the home where this supposedly took place, she's like, it's not plausible that it would have happened. She like, she kind of debunks it. I can't remember exactly what she said, but she basically debunks it. And she's like, it's a good story. And we can understand her wanting to throw her down the stairs, but it's not plausible. (laughs) Um, Okay, well, that or I'm wondering then who, because I don't remember it was referenced in an order and in an older article, but I didn't see the reference on where it came from. And I have been tracking down a few names, such as I think William McClellan, of people who were helping Joseph Smith collect his um, his records and everything during his time after Nauvoo, or like in Nauvoo and afterward. William, like he'd been writing nice enough things about Emma before, but after that, everything changed in Nauvoo, and everything after that was very harsh against her man so interesting yeah i mean we'll get into this a little bit more later when we talk about brigham young but i think the turning point was the martyrdom and how it was Mm -hmm. everything everything was handled afterward and so i think that's when all of the records started going sour but we'll get into that we'll get into that again 
Back to polygamy. Okay, one thing I did find, the original revelation, like, on paper, like, written down and everything, for plural marriage, it was burned. So, I think that's one of the main reasons why we have only reference, like, journal references to it and everything, um, where it's not very precise on what exactly it is supposed to mean. Um, So, from various records and accounts, we know that the, the act of burning was understandably instigated by Emma because, of course, she hated it. Um, however, then accounts kind of vary depending on who burned it. So Brigham Young said it was Emma. Joseph Smith said it was him who ended up burning it. And then, like, William Clayton said in reference to what Joseph Smith had told him is that Emma refused to touch the revelation on paper. So Joseph, like, used tongs to, like, throw it into the fire. <laughs> so <laughs> various accounts. But the overarching aspect is that the actual paper of it is gone is because it was burned and joseph smith agreed to do this because he remembered it well enough so he was apparently willing to like okay that's fine like i can just rewrite it i don't super agree with that compared to like what we have but you know what i don't either do what you will yeah so it, it was it was a rough point they were not always the calm people that we kind of like like to pretend that they were but she did still enjoy her spirituality and she even did end up receiving her endowment and becoming the seal to Joseph Smith, which did bring her comfort and joy during this time. So there's a balance-ish. Ugh. Again, I know I said this in episode 83, but like if I had been Emma, I would have thrown his <laughs> down the stairs repeatedly. Repeatedly. The first time your spouse says, I want another one. And then you're like, no. Nope. No. Bye. No. Goodbye. Goodbye. Mm-hmm. I'm out of here. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about her beliefs and her testimony and her source of strength, essentially. So we all know that Emma was the first scribe that Joseph had when he was translating the Book of Mormon. We also know that she never looked at the plates themselves and she wasn't called upon to be one of the witnesses. However, it is important to note that she felt them, she protected them, and she handled them. She was the one that provided the linen cloth to cover the plates when they were on the table. We also know that because like they lived in a very small home during that time and they were mostly doing the translation at their dining room table, their kitchen table, she would have to clear said table for meals. So she would often be the one to lift the plates, move them, set them aside. And so she like she hefted them. She felt them. She knew what they were like without ever actually having to see them. I never thought of it like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. From some of her records, she said that she didn't need to see them because she was already a witness of the divine power of Joseph's translations. She said that she would witness how he would stop at a line for a break and then he would jump right back in without repeating the last line or having... Emma repeat the last line, and that even to the end of her life, she testified that he had a prophetic gift, and she would always stand by that gift. From Wikipedia, we learned that on March 17, 1842, the Relief Society of Nauvoo was formally organized as the Women's Auxiliary of the Church, and Emma was called to be the first president. She served as the president until 1844, and through this work, she led the work of boarding and clothing men who were engaged in building the Nauvoo Temple. She cared for the sick and afflicted, and finally, she traveled with a committee of 
women from the Relief Society to Quincy, Illinois, to visit Governor Thomas Carlin to present the information about the struggles, persecution, and afflictions of the saints in Illinois. So she did a lot. Like, she did more than just, like, housework and, like, normal stuff around Nauvoo. She was advocating for the saints in the early 1800s as well. amazing. I had no idea. And then from the Mormon Land podcast, it said that Emma was very dedicated to the restoration of the church. Members know that Emma made the first hymnal, but it was a really big deal because one, it wasn't something that women did like at all. So this was a very progressive decision for Joseph to call on her to do the hymnals. Two, they were creating a form of worship and identity that was absolutely unique to the fledgling Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Emma recognized that there were hymns from other faiths that were powerful and important, and she gathered several of them, and she blended them together to also be a representation of the blended identity of the saints, because the saints all came together from different religious backgrounds. So she wanted that to be like their collective representation. And then third, the hymns that she selected taught specific doctrines about the church. So like while she picked one song that was teaching about like the atonement, she didn't choose another song because it didn't reflect the doctrine of the atonement that they had learned through the Book of Mormon translation. So she was picking songs that specifically amplified that doctrine. Very impressive. All right. So we're going to go back a little bit as we kind of talk more about her spirituality and her strength um because we do want to be able to highlight that she received her patriarchal blessing she did this uh she received it from her father-in-law um joseph smith senior on december 9th 1834 so about 10 years before she uh started the Relief society it was very interesting to read you can find it online and it talks about how like the lord has heard her cries and told her of affiliations to others afflictions that others would receive because of their harsh behavior and justice because she saw so many bad things happen um i mean she saw her like her husband got tarred and feathered like she went through so much and so she finds some kind of comfort and justice that will come someday the lord absolves her of any blame or guilt for her children who died that she might have been hanging on to she is told that she will live many days truthfully like i kind of expected to be more based around her marriage to joseph smith um, just because that kind of felt like it happens during that time frame when women, you know, were an attachment to their spouses and everything. Um, but it doesn't. It's very, very instructive for her personally. And you can see that reflected in the life that she had led up to that point. And I really like her last part. Um, sorry, the last part of her patriarchal blessing that reads, And now behold, I say unto thee, that thus says the Lord, if thou wilt believe, thou shalt yet be blessed in this thing, and thou shalt bring forth other children to the joy and satisfaction of thy soul, and to the rejoicing of thy friends. Thou shalt be blessed with understanding, and have power to instruct thy sex, teach thy family righteousness, and thy little ones in the way of life, and the holy angels shall watch over thee, and thou shalt be saved in the kingdom of God, even so. Amen. I just really like that. It's very comforting to hear that there were still some good things happening in Emma's life between all the crap that she was putting up with. Um, So she did have um, her own testimony. She had her own blessings and everything. And she, I mean, she did have a very supportive um, extended family. So while she never ended up really like living with her parents again, she did often live with Joseph Smith's family and she became very close to Lucy Mack Smith. And I want to pull another quote from 
uh, Linda King Newell from the Emma Smith Lore Reconsidered, where it states that Lucy Mack Smith, who lived either with or near Emma through most of the 17 years of Emma and Justice's marriage, left a much different view um, in terms of early Saints' perspective on not being nice to Emma. So in the privacy of Emma's home, Lucy had seen her daughter-in-law respond to a variety of situations and had admired her, saying, I have never seen a woman in my life who would endure every species of fatigue and hardship from month to month and from year to year with that unflinching courage, zeal, and patience which she has ever done. For I know that which she has had to endure, she has been tossed upon the ocean of uncertainty. She has breasted the storms of persecution and buffeted the rage of men and devils, which would have borne down almost any other woman. So Emma Smith may not have been perfect, but she was an incredibly strong woman who continued to endure to the end after so many terrible things happened. I just think about it sometimes and I'm like, I can't, I, I don't even want to even think about all the crap that she had to put up with. And it's just not fair that she gets all of that criticism, too, because of everything that she had to deal with. Like, it's so not fair. Just let the woman be. During her 17 years with Joseph, she was seen in that very positive light. Um, I think that's when the the term first got uh, put on her, the, the elect lady. And so, like, that's how, like, I was raised to see her, mostly. Um... And so that's how that happened. But as we did mention, um, things took a dark turn after she went through the next hardest part of her life and losing her husband. So our next section of conversation is about after Joseph Smith passed away. Yeah. So according to the Mormon Land podcast and multiple records, there are rumors that she battled with mental illness as well after Joseph died. Now, it's not diagnosed or recorded anywhere, but some accounts state that Emma, who was once very lively, extroverted, and confident, completely withdrew. Um, She lashed out multiple times at Brigham Young, which we know why and we're about to get into, and then she became a total introvert. Accounts conclude that she may have suffered from PTSD and some form of depression after Joseph died, which, I mean, makes absolute sense. It makes so much sense. So we all know that there was drama surrounding her and Brigham Young, but we only did a little bit of research because there is so much to go through about this topic. As history goes, Brigham and Emma had very high admiration and love for Joseph. In some ways, their relationship with each other was almost competitive in nature because Joseph loved and appreciated both of them for different reasons. Joseph and Brigham had a very business relationship together because Brigham was the president of the Quorum of the Twelve, and so of course they shared a lot with one another, and they discussed things together about the church like they were very close. Joseph obviously had a more intimate relationship with Emma, but he also discussed things in greater detail with her than he would with Brigham, so this already brought a little bit of tension into Emma and Brigham's relationship. And then when Joseph was martyred, the tension grew to a boiling point between Brigham and Emma, where Emma was more concerned about preserving her family, while Brigham was more concerned with preserving the church. Both viewpoints make sense and they're fair, but like neither one of them could understand the other one. And so Brigham and Emma would fight relentlessly at this point. First, Brigham demanded that Emma follow them west, and she refused. 
Then he demanded that she give up Hiram and Joseph's bodies to be buried out west, and she refused, which, like, is disgusting. Why would you travel across thousands of miles on foot with two dead bodies? That's gross. Yeah, the notion might be nice. I know some people, like, want to have their loved ones buried in a particular place, but honestly, it's best to just let them lie where they lie. Now that's easy. You just ship them and they stay on ice. You can't do that in the 1800s. It's not an option. I just, I don't like the idea of moving dead bodies in general. Okay, just leave them. Anyways, then we know that Emma withdrew even further back to the point of depression and PTSD because she was just tired of defending herself to Brigham and she was trying to figure out what belonged to her versus what belonged to the church when she was talking about Joseph's belongings. Jennifer Reeder mentioned that Joseph had like some sort of uniform from like some sort of military type service. And a record shows that Brigham and Emma were fighting over that too. Like he claimed that that belonged to the church and Emma was like, are you effing kidding me? No, it doesn't. Like this, this has nothing to do with the church. Brigham felt like she was a dissenter and he felt that she didn't sustain him as a leader of the church whatsoever. And then he went on to call her horrible things publicly and privately. Like one record said that Brigham said that Emma would be a saint if she wasn't so much of a devil in a newspaper. Oh my gosh. There's also another line where he was like, yeah, Joseph might be willing to go through hell for Emma, but that's where he would have to go to find her. Like, I, I'm sorry. That's just me. Horrible things. Horrible things. So honestly, by the time he finally left for Utah, she was probably like, good riddance. Honestly, that guy. Yes. Like, <laughs> get he out of here. I don't jerk. care about you. Go oh. away. So much drama. There is so much more that we aren't even going to go into, but like, Ooh. it's ridiculous. That time, I mean, I can't imagine what that time would have been like for them to all go through. Not only had they lost like their husband or their loved one um, or a person that they'd super looked up to, but they had to figure out what to do with the church because like a lot of people did want one of Joseph Smith's kids to become the leader of the church. Like it said that Joseph Smith even elected one of his sons to take the lead. And then Emma's just going to be like, I want to take care of my family. Like, that's all I care about right now. Like, I can't, I can't do anything else. And so it's crazy. Like, after Joseph's martyrdom, the church just kind of split a little bit, as we know. So some people followed Brigham West and then others stayed in Nauvoo. They pretty much ended up becoming a, a new religion to split themselves up. So they became the reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So we know that for a long time, Emma was unaffiliated with any church. She still had a lot of the same beliefs and everything, but she was not about to join the Saints West. She And she didn't want to join any other religion because she was traumatized. She'd been through so much. She'd seen the betrayal that happened in the church that she had once loved so dearly. Like, things changed. And, ugh, yeah. So I do want to share one quote that was shared by her during that time. This is pulled from the Emma Smith Lore Reconsidered article. Um, so Emma in 1856 stated, I have always avoided talking to my children about having anything to do in the church, for I have suffered so much I have dreaded to have them take any part in it. But I have always believed that if God wanted them to do anything in the church, the one who called their father would make it known to them, and it was not necessary for me to talk to them about it. So that that's understandable. 
So in 1860, Joseph III was approached by members of the RLDS church and asked to be their prophet. He brought this up to Emma and they prayed about it. Emma and Joseph III ended up joining and he became a prophet for them pretty much immediately. The two of them were never really baptized into the church. Um, they believed that their original baptisms were the true or the pure baptism required of the Lord. So the church met in Nauvoo and the Red Brick Store, and she eventually compiled two more hymn books for them and ended up becoming invested in the church later in her life. Now, while we know this, like she kind of left the LDS church for the RLDS church, the LDS archives are pretty much open to the public, but the RLDS archives are not. And only like special historians and such, I believe, have had access to them. So we've got a lot of record from her, but we also might be missing more that just hasn't been shared. Yeah. Oh, another complication um, that then came up was not only had she lost her husband, um, but she was also in a very put in a very difficult financial situation. So we know for the most part that Joseph Smith never really had any money. He was always trying to find jobs and so on. And in gathering with like lawyers and such after her husband's death, Emma found that she just they just kept finding more debt, like hundreds needed to be paid back. By Joseph's own account that they found in his records, he owed over fifty thousand dollars at that time. In eighteen hundreds money, not today's money. So this debt would haunt her for many years to come. And as Tracy, you mentioned, um, the church kept wanting to take things of Joseph's to like have for the church. And they're like, no, we owe, we really own this. We own this land that Joseph deeded to you. So you can't have it and use the money from it or anything. And so in the Emma Smith Lore Reconcerted article, it says that Brigham Young probably never fully realized Emma's financial plight, the final outcome of Joseph's estate or its effect on her. Instead, he discoursed publicly on Emma's wealth, giving the impression that she had usurped most of it from the church. While the church did not gain anything from the final settlement of Joseph's estate, even the property Brigham thought he and the trustees had given Emma had to be repurchased with the money she received from the court. Both Emma and the church trustees had sold lands between 1844 and 1848, with most of those sales taking place during and shortly after the Mormon exodus from Nauvoo. It was crazy. So, I mean, we understand that Brigham Young wanted to secure the LDS church and make sure that they would, you know, continue on and everything. He was just a jerk about it. And she had nothing. He really was. It just blows my mind how douchey he was. Like, it was basically like him being, oh, yeah, I'm really sorry that your husband is dead. And I'm sorry that your life has been turned upside down. But, like, I need these papers and I need all of Joseph's clothing and I need all of his land and I need everything that he's ever had because I'm in charge now and you can basically go up yourself like he just had no regard for her and the kids like no. none no. none whatsoever he just and did like, not care she was pregnant when Joseph died like she was about to have a baby and they're all like, well, we want this for me. We want this. And she is like, how am I supposed to survive like this? That's why historians believe that David had so many mental health issues because he was a stressful pregnancy. Like that whole pregnancy, she was under duress the whole time. Yeah, I could see that. Okay, so one note to share from the Emma Smith Lore Reconsidered article. It says that Emma spent her remaining years far removed from the associates who had helped shape the events of that first decade in the Nauvoo period. 
Like those around her, she did not always react rationally, nor did she always make decisions in those trying years that others would have wished her to make. She alienated some of her friends, and they similarly alienated her. Emily Partridge no doubt expressed the sentiments of many who knew Emma when she wrote, I hope the Lord will be merciful to her, and I believe he will. It is an awful thought to contemplate the misery of a human being. If the Lord will, my heart says, let Emma come up and stand in her place. Perhaps she has done no worse than any of us would have done in her place. Let the Lord be the judge. And it's also important to note that without Joseph there any longer, Emma had her own things going on and she no longer really had a public platform to speak on. She wasn't the Royal Society president anymore. She didn't have like a big standing in the church and most of the saints had moved west. But Brigham Young still very much had his platform. So pulled from an article titled Emma Smith Through Her Writings found on DialogueJournal.com. It says that Emma did not have or seek a public forum for her feelings about Brigham, but he did not similarly restrain himself. As a result, to members in the Western Church, the image of an uncommitted and faithless Emma became widespread. As revealed by her own writings, however, her religious feelings in general ran deep. The earliest letter extant from Emma to Joseph, written in 1837, states, I barely feel that if I had not more confidence in God than some I could name, I should be in a sad case indeed. But I still believe that if we humble ourselves and are as faithful as we can be, we shall be delivered from every snare that may be laid for our feet, and our lives and property will be saved, and we will be redeemed from all unrenderable encumbrances. And a week later, she wrote again, I hope that we shall all be so humble and pure before God that he will set us at liberty to be our own masters in a few things at least. Um, and then I do want to follow up with a few words um, from Emma herself that she shared towards the end of her days, um, because you can very much see that Emma cared the most for her family, and she was always trying to do what was right by them. And she wrote, if there is anything in this world that I am or ever was proud of, it is the honor and integrity of my children. But I dare not allow myself to be proud, as I believe that pride is one of the sins so often reproved in the good book. So I am enjoying the better spirit, and that is to be truly and sincerely thankful, and in humility give God the glory, not trying to take in comparing my sons with others, and them too that has had fathers of their own to guard them. God bless you all is a prayer of your mother. As we know, she would continue to write. She would continue to take care of her children through the days continuing. She did remarry at the age of 44, something that shocked many in her community who probably expected her to stay faithful, quote-unquote, to Joseph after his passing. Um, but we can find that they did share letters with one another when her second husband, Louis Spiderman, he left briefly for the gold fields in California, and they would write letters to one another. Their letters were just as sweet and dear as her letters had been to Joseph Smith. They clearly loved each other and cared for one another. And even when they faced hardships like his illegitimate children um, coming into the picture, she still stayed. They had 30 years together until her death. And so as we can see, Emma Smith lived a very trying life. She was patient. She endured. She did what she thought was best and tried to do what she could in a strange time with the hardships. She held on to her spirituality and spoke her mind when she felt she needed to. She went through so much crap, and I think that that quote you shared about Brigham basically spreading that rumor of 
Emma being uncommitted and faithless is where we have this huge split in the church today about Emma Smith, because there are people who firmly believe that what Brigham's thoughts and opinions were on Emma were doctrine and that she was just this demonic woman who lost her faith the second her husband died and basically said, screw you to the church. The other half of the church is like, um, no, her husband died. Brigham Young was being a douchebag to her. She just said, please leave me in peace. I finally have a house. I'm not being chased out of town. Let me raise my children in safety. So I feel like that's where the dichotomy happens in the church. And I wish that more people would do more of the research and learn more and take time to understand what happened historically. And I mean, granted, we don't even know everything that happened historically, but take that time to look. I mean, there's talk about Brigham Young like made a report saying Emma Smith tried to poison Joseph at some point. Like history is crazy. People were crazy. And we can't, we don't have all the facts. And I completely know what you were just talking about because I grew up thinking Emma Smith was a good person until Joseph died. And then she became a terrible person for leaving the church and marrying someone else. Like that, like sometimes I still have that thought. And then I'm like, no, that is not the right way to think about this. Like it's, it's hard to get out of that line of thinking sometimes. And I have to remind myself that like she went through so much, she is allowed to make her own decisions and she did what she thought was right. She doesn't need to defend herself to any of us with our opinions or judgments. She did what she could during her lifetime and we need to take from that what we can. We need to learn from it what we can and just go from that way to worry about ourselves. If people would stop assuming that everyone who makes a different decision about their faith journey is a bad person, if you could all stop doing that, that would be great. Because like, if you take a second to pause, pull yourself and your own personal feelings out of the equation and think about what this person went through. Like they eloped, she lost multiple children, repeatedly watched her children die. She watched her husband get abused, tarred and feathered, thrown in prison for nothing. She had to literally grab her children and like four belongings repeatedly and travel to far places to find safety. And then she finally gets some sort of security and stability and her husband gets murdered. And then after that, a dude who she was close with and the church that she was close with turns on her and calls her a devil of a woman because she won't pack up and move west again. She went through so much crap, and the only thing that hypercritical members of the church can say about her is, well, she lost her faith and so she's not a good person anymore. No. No way. She still had so much faith. Just because it's different doesn't mean it's bad, like you said. Yeah, which is something that I've been thinking a lot more on lately. Like, yes, we talk about the straight and narrow, and like it's a very thin path that we walk kind of thing. But everyone's path is very different. We each have our own straight and narrow path that we are walking, and none of them look the same. It is all too easy to forget that in this church. I feel like personally, the older I get and the more I experience in the church, I mean, I'm obviously not getting chased out of town and persecuted, but like the older I get and the more I think about what Emma went through, the more I'm like, 
I'm surprised that she lasted as long as she did because I would not have. Like, I absolutely would not have. I would have been like, saints who? Don't know them. And I'm going to say it, like Brigham coming in and like throwing fits and everything. I would have had like a club with me and I would have been beating the crap out of him every time he tried to show up in my house. Honestly, if we ever do an episode about Brigham Young, it's literally just going to be us bashing on him. Honestly. The entire time. Mm Mm-hmm. Honestly, like, I am so glad that she was able to get married and find happiness. And even though, like, yes, he cheated on her and had an affair, and I probably would have clubbed him over the head with that, like, I'm still happy that she was able to have a good life with him afterwards. Yeah, after all she went through, she needs some peace. Yeah. So to wrap up today, I wanted to share this one last quote from Jennifer Reeder. It's at the very end of the Mormon Land podcast episode about Emma Smith. She says, Saints today should view Emma Smith as an integral part of the restoration. Recognize the power of women and the need for women to be a part of this continuing restoration. We need to give her credit. For a very long time, she was seen as a negative influence or a failure, but I really believe her life is a story of redemption, and I believe she was able to contribute so much that it helps us realize that we can contribute to this church as well. She was imperfect. She had heartaches. She had a lot of mud, frozen water, and sickness. It's very similar to what we have and the problems we see in the church, but we have a role to play. And so I really liked this quote, and I think it's such a good way to wrap up the discussion on Emma Smith because we've said it enough already today that Emma deserves so much more credit than she's given. Honestly, like if Emma was able to do all of that and to still play such a huge integral role in the church itself, we also need to recognize that we have an integral role as women in the church to play in this continuing restoration. President Nelson is regularly saying that the church is going through an ongoing restoration and that the restoration wasn't just one moment, it's forever. And we all can do something in this restoration. We may not be running across, you know, state lines or carrying children with us across the Mississippi River, but we can do things, we can make an impact, and we can solve problems and help people in whatever capacity we have in the church. Amen. Amen to that. We are capable of doing a lot. We can do a lot. Emma Smith clearly did everything that she could to contribute. And we can use her example for anything that we want to. She set a very important example for us to learn from. And you can interpret that as you will. And now it's just up to us to consider our own parts in all of this. Exactly. Before we wrap up today, we wanted to remind you again that Funeral Potatoes for the Singles Award is now part of the Dialogue Podcast Network. So you can support our podcast and other incredible podcasts like Beyond the Block, Face and Hat, Strangers No More, Holy Human, and many others by subscribing today at dialoguejournal.com slash podcast network. Subscribers receive special benefits like ad-free episodes and bonus content. So learn more about these podcasts and more at dialoguejournal.com slash podcast network. Thank you for joining us on this journey of looking into Emma Smith and her life and how incredible and powerful of a woman that she was. And we hope that you were able to learn something new about her today. One day in the future, we'll know more and we'll talk to someone who knows more about Emma and be able to go more in depth about her. But we hope this surface level episode was able to give you some sort of good insights. We hope you enjoyed this. We hope you learned at least one new thing with us and have a lot more to think about for your week. Yeah. 
And then next week is going to be our season two finale. Yes, our finale, you guys. We're finally going to take a break. Yes, we all need a break. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, so stick around. It'll be fun. Yep, stay tuned for that. It'll be great. Thanks for joining us again, guys. Bye. Bye.